0: The kingdom of Jesus is an upside-down kingdom where the last is first and the first is last. The humble are exalted and the broken are restored. If ever we need a revival in the world, the time is now. The lasting change we need does not come from the powerful or the influential. True change, real healing, and times of deep renewal are birthed when the people of God humble themselves praying, and seek his face. It all begins with the church, which means it must begin inside of you and inside of me. This is the moment for the church of Jesus, not to settle for survival, but to call down revival. Welcome Sugar Creek family, we're so grateful that you are joining us all across our different campuses at Missouri City, at Richmond, Rosenberg, here at Sugar Land, at Darrington, and in your home or wherever you might be. We're so thrilled to be one church today, meeting together as we are praying together for God to Revive us! I want you to know, Pastor Mark will be back next week preaching to us about praying for revival in our nation. And boy, do we need one. So make sure you're back in your seat next week as we lean in together. This week, so many of you have been praying. Nearly a 1,000 of our 30-minute slots have been taken up to pray for three weeks, a chain prayer for revival. And so many of you showed up on Tuesday night at whatever campus or online to pray together because this is where revival begins. In 1727 there was a small group of refugee Christians from Moravia that settled in Saxony. Here's a picture of where they were. They settled in a small town called Hernhut Saxony. And as they settled as refugees from Moravia there, this small group of Christ followers started to have some disagreements and dissensions, they started to have a little bit of issues within the church. So their young 27-year-old leader by the name of Nicholas Zinzendorf, here's a picture of Nicholas, he called the church to a season of prayer. What they did was they prayed for one hour a day as long as the Lord allowed them to. While well, this prayer meeting didn 't just last a few days or a few weeks or even a few months, this prayer gathering every single day with this congregation lasted for one hundred years. I am not exaggerating one hundred. Years And what was happening was incredible. Within three months, revival broke out into this church. They became so united, loving each other, having a great hunger for the Word of God that took possession of their hearts. They began to have multiple prayer gatherings a day, beginning at 5 in the morning. And soon, God began to send the people from this small congregation all around the world to take the gospel to foreign countries. They took the gospel to every country in Europe to South and North America, to Asia, as far as Africa. It is said that these people would pack up their belongings in a coffin and go to foreign nations because they knew that they may never return home again. And within the first 25 years of this prayer revival, more missionaries were sent from that church than the last two centuries from any Church, Let me tell you, great men and women of God like John Wesley and countless others were con- transformed and converted to Jesus because of this small church praying together for a hundred years. So imagine what happens when thousands of us who call Sugar Creek home begin to pray for revival. What could God do in and through our life? Last week we talked about personal Revival, But today we're shifting the gear and we're talking about what it will look like for us to experience a church-wide revival. A church-wide revival. In the Old Testament, The people of God who covenanted with God were the nation of Israel. And God in this covenant said that as long as you follow my ways, obey my commands, and do what I've called you to do, you will always have my blessing, the hand of my favor and protection on you. But the moment you willfully reject me, I will remove my hand and give you over to your enemies. And in one of those instances, and as you know it, by human nature, Israel rejected God time and time again. And in one of those moments, they were given over to the reign of the Babylonians. This is called the Babylonian captivity. This actually lasted for 70 years. Now I know we've been in somewhat of a quarantine for about seven months and it's felt like seven years, hasn't it? Yes, it has. It felt like forever. But these people are literally in a foreign land, away from home, away from family, away from church, away from the temple for 70 whole years. Imagine that. Soon your grandparents are dying, then your parents, then your siblings, and a few decades in and you realize you're the only one that's still alive from your generation. How hopeless they felt, and they did give up all hope. They give up even faith in God, because no end was in sight. And in the midst of all of that, God raised up an incredible prophet by the name of Ezekiel. And God gave Ezekiel a vivid vision of revival, of God's plan to revive the nation of Israel, to bring them back home, to bring them together and worship God as his people again. Despite of losing their national and religious identity, there was a revival that was coming. Now I know we're not the ancient Israel that we read about in the Old Testament. But today, we are the people of God. We've been brought in. We've been grafted into this covenant with God. The church of Jesus, the body of Christ today, is made up of both Jew and Gentile. Free, both male and female. We are comprised of people from every ethnicity, race, background, upbringing, and I'm so grateful that every single weekend on all of our campuses we get to see the visible, diverse body of Jesus Christ. And just as a nation of Israel needed times of renewal and revival, the church today, even our church today, needs to go through seasons and moments where God revives us. So we're gonna read this vivid vision given to Ezekiel of how God revives his people. And I pray that we can at least extract four truths of how God intends to revive our church in these days. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses one to 10. The hand of the Lord was on me. He brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. to life, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound and bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them, skin covered them and there was no Breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded, as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army, a vast army army. I'm so grateful for the Word of God that's been preserved for our reading today and this particular vision that guides us. And today we're going to look at four markers of how God revises church. The first one is this if you're taking notes. Number one, we must have a vision for where we are and what God can do through us. We've got to get a vision of where we are and what God can do through us. We're told here that the hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel and Ezekiel was carried in the Spirit of the Lord. How amazing the hand of God's on Ezekiel, and he is carried along in the spirit of the Lord. I believe with all my heart for the last 45 years of our church's existence, the hand of the Lord has been upon our church, and we have been carried all along in every place we've gone, the impact that we've made all around around the world, because his spirit has been carrying us all along. Because the hand of the Lord has been upon us, there are towns and villages all across the world that have clean water today. Because the spirit of the Lord has been carrying us, there are homes and individuals all across Fort Bend County who've got clothes on their back and food on their table. Because the hand of the Lord has been upon us, there are unreached people groups who've been reached, churches who are thriving today because we have the opportunity to plant them. Hundreds of women who have been rescued from human trafficking, cycles of poverty broken, And refugees, children all around the world who have come to know Christ Jesus because the hand of the Lord has been upon us. All across the greater Houston area, there are thousands of children and teenagers and adults who have been reached and discipled with the gospel of Jesus because God's hand has been upon us. And today, 45 years later, I believe with all my heart that God's hand is still steady upon us and we are carried in the spirit of the Lord wherever we go. Do you believe that, church, this morning? Amen? Amen. I believe that. His hand is on us. But notice where the hand of the Lord took Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord didn't take Ezekiel into a golf course or palm tree resort. God took Ezekiel into a valley of dry bones, a valley of dry bones. He saw bones scattered, disjointed. What used to have life and luster now is very dry. It's possible that as you look, maybe in your own family, at your friends, in your community, in our nation, what you see is a valley of dry bones because sometimes the hand of God could be on you and he'll take you right into brokenness. He'll take you into places that are dry so that you can be a voice of hope that you can be a prophetic sound of faith. And it's even possible that we as a church, although we're not a valley of dry bones, that we can go through seasons where we feel a little dry. Even a great church like us can feel a little dry sometimes. Think about it, for the last several months until just a few weeks ago, we have not been able to gather together as the body of Jesus Christ. We haven't yet been able to get in small groups and lay our hands on one another, pray and encourage one another. We haven't really been able to serve like we used to laugh together, share a meal together, be in each other's homes and do life together. So in the season we're in, it could feel a little disjointed. And on top of all of that, all of the crazy, divisive things happening in our nation can easily spill into our church as well. And if we're not careful, these things are dividing the world could easily put up walls among us. If we ever needed the love and strength and support of a visible, united, diverse body of believers, it's now. And yet, we have to stay six feet away and give that awkward elbow greeting, whatever that might be, instead of an incredible embrace of love, acceptance. Things can feel in your home, in our church, in our world, a little dry. So notice this question that God poses to Ezekiel and this question that I believe God's asking us in verse three, he asked, son of man, can these dry bones live? Can they live? And you would expect Ezekiel, this mighty prophet of God who always has a vision of God, to give a confident answer and all he can say is, only you know God, only you know. Because it seemed to be so dry, so hopeless, he gave up even a vision of what God can do. Today, God's asking us the same question. Into whatever valley of dry bones you're staring at and peering into, do you believe that these dry bones can live? Can you see what God sees into the valley of dry bones? Can you see it in your marriage? Can you see it in your family, in our city, in our nation? Do you see hope resurrecting, unity emerging, life coming back to things that are pretty dry? It's possible that even as a church, we've lost sight of what God can do in and through us in the season of a dry spell. Remember Proverbs 29 verse 18, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint or they perish. They're not compelled by a bigger vision than themselves. They're not urged and moved by a prophetic vision for what God can do. I believe God has allowed our church to go through what we're going through in this pandemic, in this crazy time we're in because he's got a vision for us. He hasn't given up on us, He's got an amazing plan and He has hand-selected every one of you to be in this church, to be where you are, to live where you do, so that you could be a prophetic sign of hope in the midst of hopelessness. Notice this overarching vision that God has for the church as Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter one, verse 22. It says, and God placed all things under His feet, meeting the feet of Jesus and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I love this passage because Paul begins in the verses preceding to talk about the authority, the majesty, the glory of Jesus, the power of the risen Savior. And the idea is this: Jesus could have gone to every corner of the world and eradicated sin and wiped out injustice. He could have filled the entire earth with the fullness of his presence. He was fully capable of doing so. But instead. The incredible wisdom of God is for Jesus to be the head of the church, his body. And through the church, fill everything in every way with his presence. He didn't need us. He didn't have to have us, but he chose with all of his glory and might to be our leader, our head, so that we, the body, the hands and feet of Jesus, could go to dark and dry places and fill it with the presence of God. That's God's vision for your life and for our church in Fort Bend County, where all of our campuses are situated. Do you know that only 24% of our vast population subscribes to any Protestant faith? to an evangelical faith, only 24% of the people we drive by, we live around, we go to work with, only believe in this view of our faith, which means God has chosen you hand-selected you to fill your corporations, your schools, your universities, your neighborhoods, your community with the presence of God. That into every dry valley that is around you, he's chosen you with a vision to reach people where you are. So we've gotta get a fresh vision of what God can do in and through our church. Number two, we must march to the beat of God's word and none other. We've gotta to march to the beat of God's word and none other. Verse four says it like this, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel knew that nothing he do can make life enter them. Nothing he could say on his own would raise up this valley of dry bones. The only thing he could do was to prophesy, declare the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord that's declared into the valley of dry bones is simply live. It's a word of life. It's a hope of resurrectionists to bring dead things back to life again. Remember Proverbs 18, verse 21? The tongue, your tongue, can bring death or life. And those who love to talk will reap its consequences. Ezekiel took the words of his mouth and he made sure that he brought life out of his mouth. So let me ask you, what are the words that have been rolling off of your tongue these days? What have been typed through your fingers? What vibe, what culture are you establishing around you? Is it words of life or words of death, disagreements, dissension, discord, despair? What's coming out of your mouth these days? If we don't proclaim life to a hopeless world, then who will? It's got to come from us. When we march to the beat of God's word, we will choose love and justice and mercy. We will proclaim life both to the unborn and the born. We will seek out the least of these and become a balm of healing to those hurting around us. We've got to be a people who proclaim not our opinions, not our emotions, but the word of the Lord. Let me tell you what will change our world. Our world will change when the people of God speak the word of God into a world of despair. That's what will change our world. When the people of God, when you and I speak the word of God into a world of despair. Let me show you proof. Isaiah 55 verse 10, the Lord says it like this. As the rain and the snow comes down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. No word of God spoken through your lips will come back void. It will achieve what God has purposed in his heart. For 45 years, our church has clung to the word of God. We've held on to it with every fiber of our being, which means we don't take our cues from culture, We don't take our cues from our favorite news channel. We don't march to the beat of a political party or celebrity culture or some other ideology. No, we march to the beat of God's word alone. So let me say this, let's let everything we hear and say be put to the test of scripture. Form your opinions by it, build your lifestyle under it, shape your values, your convictions under the word of God because one day heaven and earth will pass away Kings and kingdoms will rise and fall. Presidents and parties will come and go, but the word of the Lord is here to stay. It will endure for all eternity. So get on the side of God's word. Let every valley of dry bones hear from our church, hear the word of the Lord, live. And if you're in a dry bone situation, we declare life to you wherever you are. The third marker of revival, in Ezekiel 37 is that we must resist self-reliance and be fully dependent on the Holy Spirit. Resist to be reliant on your own self and depend on the Holy Spirit of God. Isaiah begins to declare the word of the Lord and he hears a sound, a rattling noise, and bone to bone become attached to each other. Bones that were scattered and now joined together and they have form now, they form a skeleton. And notice what happens next in verse eight. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was a problem. There was no breath in them. Let me pause here for a second. This is the greatest danger for any church and even our church, that we could have the form, the appearance of being alive, but there's no breath inside of us. It all looks great on a screen. It all looks good on paper. But is there breath inside of us? I'm so grateful that we are four campuses all across our region. We've got great technology and resources. But the most important thing, what makes us alive, is the breath of the living God deeply blowing in our heart, flowing right through us. And if we ever lose the breath of God, we lose everything. So here the skeletons are in their right form, but there's no breath in them. So notice verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live, that they may live. Ezekiel sees progress, but there's no power. He sees a form, but it doesn't function yet. So he begins to pray, prophesy for the breath of the living God to enter these dry bones from all four winds of the earth for the breath of God to enter. The word that's used for breath or wind here is the word ruach. And it's the same word used all across the Old Testament for the spirit of the living God. It's this ruach that hovered in the beginning over the waters when the world was empty without form or shape. It's this ruach, this breath that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and made made him a living being. This is the same spirit that moves among us, the same spirit that raised Jesus back to life, the same spirit that made you alive and makes us fully alive to him. Him. this is the breath of God moving in our midst I'm so grateful for technology that we can do this we can be one church speaking in many locations and may God bring us more technology but what we need more than technology is the tears of desperation asking for the Spirit of God to flow upon us I'm grateful for the resources we have and may God send more resources but what we need more than resources is true repentance Saying, I'm crying out for you, God. I'm sorry for trying to do life my own way. I'm sorry for trying to run my family or my marriage or even do church in my own strength. I need to empty myself of self. I need to come to the end of my own power, my own strength, and fully be open, available, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We need the breath of the Spirit of God in a fresh way today. Remember the words of Zechariah where the Lord says in chapter 4 verse 6, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power but by my spirit says the Lord. It won't be your human strength that brings change. It won't be a national army. It'll be the spirit of the Lord that causes real change. If anyone needed not to rely on the spirit, it was Jesus. He was the son of God, sinless, holy, the perfect one. But notice what Peter says about Jesus in Acts 10. You know of Jesus, the Nazareth, of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Wow! Even Jesus needed the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he did. And if sinless Jesus, the Son of God, needed the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we, frail, mere human beings, every day need a fresh anointing, a fresh breath, need the power of the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. These bones came to life in Ezekiel 7 when the Word of God joined the Spirit of God and entered the valley of dry bones. The Word of God working together with the Spirit of God is what raised up an incredible army. And notice this connection that Jesus makes hundreds of years later in John 6. Jesus says it like this in John 6, verse 63. The Spirit gives life, and that's what happened in Ezekiel 37, the Spirit gave life. The flesh counts for nothing. But notice what he says next. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit, and life. They're full of the Spirit and life. So what I'm saying is we'll begin to see revival when we grab a hold of the Word of God. But we're not just heroes of the Word of God. We let the Spirit of the Word change us from the inside. We let it transform us. We let it take deep root in our life. And every day we are empowered by both the Word and the Spirit working together, coalescing around our heart and our soul, changing us for. Good. This is what causes revival in our life. The word of God and the spirit of God. And so what happens next? An army begins to rise up. And the fourth thing is this. We must stand together as one mighty army. Stand together as one mighty army. Verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army, a vast army. Here's a vision that I believe God has for us, Sugar Creek. All across our campuses, the dry bones will become a vast army. We will stand together as one. Pastor Mark says it so well often to us and reminds us that we're not just a little church, we are a mighty army. We're the army that God has assembled together. I've been looking for opportunities to use action army figures and I finally found one. So here they are. This valley of dry bones, without life, scattered, disjointed, when the spirit of God and the word of God took over, they became a vast army. And this is the image I want you to have in your mind together. We are this army that God has assembled together. Yes, we are a hospital for the hurting. And at the same time, we are an incredible army. Yes, we don't have it all together. We've got issues. But the Spirit of God breathes into us, builds us up, strengthens us, equips us, and calls us to be an unstoppable force for the glory of God. Yes, we're not perfect. But 2 Corinthians 10 says that our weapons of warfare, they're not carnal, they're not our human strength, they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. If you call Sugar Creek home, if you are a follower of Christ, you're not just a spectator, you're not just standing on the sidelines, you have joined a powerful move of God to engage the spiritual darkness in your region, in your city. But what is it that makes this army so strong and effective? The first and most important thing is this, that they're following closely their highest-ranking general, who is Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, Jesus has never lost a battle. He is already and always victorious. Amen. He is our reigning supreme king. And the closer we follow Jesus as a church of Jesus, we are already more than conquerors in Christ who loved us. What is it that makes this army strong? It's the fact that they stand together as one. Shoulder to shoulder, they stand together. Imagine if they, rather than facing the same direction, turned on each other. They begin to argue and bicker. Begin to say, I want your weapons, I want your outfit, I want your uniform. What would make them ineffective if they had division and they turned on each other? I've heard it said that the agenda of Satan is destruction, but the strategy of Satan is division. His agenda is destruction, his strategy is division, to divide up a marriage, a family, a home, even a church. When we are divided, we are not effective. So this army is strong because they stand shoulder to shoulder. People of every race and creed and language and culture upbringing. People from different walks of life and stories can stand together as one. People who may be of a different political persuasion or vote differently than you can still stand shoulder to shoulder. People who love hymns and people who love contemporary, loud rock and roll music can still stand together. People who wear a suit on Sundays and those who wear skinny jeans with holes in them can still stand together. We stand shoulder with one another. We stand shoulder to shoulder with our black families. Knowing that the the injustices or the the pain that they feel, we stand alongside of them at the lack of equal justice and liberty for them. At the same time, we stand shoulder to shoulder with law enforcement officers in our church and their families. Because we at the church, we don't have to pick a side. We can be for both. We can be those who love all people to life change in Christ Because no matter what your personal views are, we are following the same Jesus. We are facing the same direction. We have the same mission, which is to love and lead all people to life-changing Christ. And guess what? We have the same enemy, and it's not each other. It's not each other. Our enemy is in flesh and blood. It's forces of evil, spiritual darkness, spiritual authorities that we are fighting together. So we move forward together. We become the church of Jesus, unstoppable together when we stand with one another, not against each other. We carry the hurt of our brother. We heal the wound of our sister. We pray for one another. We pray for our lead pastor. We pray for our ministers. We pray for each other. We get to actually know each other I know in a church like our size, it's probably impossible to know every single person, but if you tried, you can get to know a lot of people. You can get to know their stories. You can get to know their perspective. So every Sunday, make it a point to meet somebody new. Have a phone call with them, have a lunch with them. Get to know the people you are surrounded by. And when we stand together as the bride, the body of Jesus, full of his word, full of his spirit, standing as one, we are the unstoppable force of Jesus Christ in our world, amen? And the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 18 will come true. When he tells Peter, based on this profession that you've just made, that I am the son of God, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will not prevail. Imagine this, the gates of hell, they're not offensive. Gates don't run after people. All they can do is put a wall up. Which means that the church is on the offense. God's given us the ball in our court. He's given you the authority, his spirit, his power to march against the gates of the enemy and pull down the strongholds as one mighty force. We would take ground for the gospel of Jesus, see his kingdom ushered in. If not us, then who? We are the army of God that he's called for such a time as this. Would you stand with me at all our campuses? We need the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow across Richmond, Rosenberg, and Katy, and Missouri City, and in Fresno, Arcola, Pearland, Sugarland, and Darrington, all across our city. And when we are committed to his word with the hand of the Lord upon us, carried in the spirit of the Lord, what we get to do it together as a church will be unexplainable by the power of man. But it will only be explained away by the power of God. So may God send such a revival. I want you to look around this room and any room that you're watching from at any campus, even in your own living room. Look around. The people you are standing next to, they are your brothers and your sisters. This isn't just a random assembly of people. These aren't just acquaintances. We are brothers and sisters. We got to have each other's back. We gotta voice the pain and the hurt of each other. We gotta stand together as one, and when we do, we become the church of Jesus that he's always envisioned us to be. Let's pray together. Father, we say yes to this call, to see what you see, to be full of your word and your spirit, and to stand together for such a time as this. Maybe there's somebody in any of these rooms who are far from you, Jesus, today, Maybe they are in the valley of dry bones with no life, no hope, no meaning. Today, may they hear the word of the Lord that says, come home. Here's new life, here's meaning, his purpose. And for all of us in this room today and anyone watching, God, you've called us together, you have bonded us together, not because of our race or culture or anything else, you have bonded us together around Christ Jesus and on this call to see our world changed with the word of God and the spirit of God. So we yield our life to this vision you've got for us. Send a fresh awakening, a revival into our midst, oh God. May you find us faithful in this hour, in this season, wherever we may be that we are taking ground for the kingdom of God. And so many hundreds of our neighbors and friends will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life as strongholds are pulled down in the name of Jesus. God, our greatest days are ahead of us. They're not behind us. We look forward to what a surrendered, united church can do for the cause of Jesus Christ so that you get all the glory, you get all the praise all over this world. And it is in the mighty, amazing, strong name of Jesus we pray these things. And the church said, amen, and amen, amen.